job, didn't they? Man, I don't even have to teach today. I think they covered half my, my, my message in, in, their, in their passages. Um, one thing I like to do every now and then I think is really important for us as our kids are going out um, is just to cover them in prayer. Can we do that? All right. Heavenly Father, we just want to lift up our kids to you and their classes and their teachers. Lord, we just ask for an absolute blessing on them today. Father, we pray over every teacher, Father, for absolute vision for their class today, an anointing from heaven, and a blessing to go along with it. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. I know I already said that, but I haven't been here for like a week, and it feels like a month. And so, yeah, uh, again, if you're new, welcome. We're glad you're here. All right. So I'm going to start off. I'm going to read a passage real quick, and then we're going to jump into this. And it says, It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, we ask today as we get in your word, Jesus, would you fill us with what Paul said he prayed that would be imparted to us, your church, Lord, that we would be filled with the love of God. Lord, not just to to have heard of it and have knowledge of it, Lord, but be transformed by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. So like I was just praying, we're going to be talking about the love of God today. And here's the thing that I want, to, I want to get out right up front. I'm going to give you a bunch of information today. And here's the, here's the reason why. Because I can't transform you. Right? The Holy Spirit can. And so I want to, I'm praying today, as I've been praying throughout the week, that as I share with you some information from the Word of God, that supernaturally something of the Holy Spirit would bring transformation to our hearts today, all right? And as we end the service, uh, we've already ha- we already have planned, we're going to spend some time in worship just to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and allow the things that we talk about just to kind of settle down, okay? So we're just going to plan for that, be prepared for it. It's, it's going to be good. But um, before we do, I want to share a little bit of a story with you. Um, a, a little while ago, my wife came to me. Uh, we're sitting at the, at the table for, for breakfast, and we got a cup of coffee, and, and we have some bird feeders out in the back, out the back window, and my wife loves to watch the bird feeders, and we had a gaggle of squirrels that would play on them. It was just kind of entertaining, and, and one morning, we're sitting there, and she says, she says, hey, there's a big rat on the bird feeder, and I was like, oh, a rat, really? So I look out the window, and sure enough, this great big fat rat's hanging off the side of one of the bird feeders. Well, I have a pellet gun for such occasions. So I, I got up from the table as fast as I could, went in my room, got in that special location, got that thing out, and, and I went to my back sliding door in my bedroom, and I, you know, I got my hand kind of propped up against the door jamb, and I slid the, slid the slider open, and I got that thing propped up there, and, I, and I'm lining right up on this rat. I got the scope, the crosshairs are right on that rat, and the, the bird feeder's just kind of rocking and turning. And that rat turned sideways and he's facing me and I, I squeezed that trigger off and flap. And that rat fell off onto the ground and I was like, oh yeah, I got him. So I walked outside and I, I looked and, and he wasn't there. He was gone. But there was a hole in my fence. And I was like, no, I missed him. I know that scope was dialed in. 
whatever. Put the thing away, went back to my cup of coffee, and had to explain to my wife why I didn't get the rat. Well, a couple days later, we're sitting there, and, 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 and I think I was getting ready for the morning, and she, she pokes her head in the bathroom and says, hey, that rat's back. Oh, man. So I, I get dressed real fast. I grab my pellet gun. I, I get, all, get all positioned up at the door again, and I'm watching that rat, and the thing starts to swing, and the rat starts to turn around, and thwack, and the rat fell off, and he ran. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? You know, months ago, I dialed my scope in, it was perfect, and I take really good care to, to make sure my pellet rifle is sitting in a place where it's not going to get bumped or, or messed with, but for some reason, I'm not hitting the target the way that I planned on hitting it, right? So I decided I'm going to make some changes. So sometime that week, I, I got my pellet gun out, I, I took about a half an hour, and I had to adjust my scope and get it all dialed in so that I knew I would be hitting right where I was aiming, and I put it back where it goes, and I don't know, four or five days later, my, my, my wife comes to me, and she says, hey, guess what? That rat's back. <laughs> so I had a whole different attitude this time. I went, got my pellet gun, I slid the door open a little bit, I got all, got all positioned up, and, and the bird feeder starts swinging, right? And I'm not, I'm not nervous at all about whether or not I'm going to hit this rat, because I took the time, and I invested in making sure this thing's going to hit right where it's going to hit, Right? Thing swings around, I line up on that, on that rat, I squeeze the trigger off. What do you think happened? Yeah, that rat got hit, and he went down, and I had a little party. But here's the thing, I had full confidence I was going to hit the rat, because I, I, I had spent the time dialing that thing in. How many of you know sometimes our love aim can get off a little bit, can't it? Right? Our understanding of God's love for us can get a little, a little out, of, out of focus sometimes. Our love for one another sometimes can get a little bit off. Have you ever asked yourselves questions or, or thought comments to yourself about, about God's love? Could God really love me? I mean, what about all the stuff that I have, the baggage that I have, the, the person that I am? I'm working on it, but I don't know if God could really love me. Or I haven't seen that breakthrough in the thing I've been praying for. Maybe if I only had as much faith as that guy over there, then maybe things would work out, but that's not me. And I don't know if God will really come through for me. Right? That's this relationship, right? Does, does God really love me? And that can get out of adjustment sometimes. Or in our relationship and our marriages, right? Sometimes we, we can say or we can think, well, if only he would be the spiritual leader of my home, things would be better. Or, oh, if she would just submit. If she would just submit, all the problems in our marriage would be gone, right? We can think that way sometimes, can't we? Where our, our, our focus can get off. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about the love of God, a section uh, in Scripture Paul talked about, where he talks about marriage, but he does it with an emphasis on God's love for us. He says, um, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. His emphasis is on Christ's love for you. 
and Christ's love for me, Christ's love for his church. And he says, oh, by the way, husbands, follow this example. So today we're going to talk about this with an emphasis on God's love. How does God love you? How does God love us, his church? And as men, we're going to follow the example, right? Because that's, that's what's going on here. But we want to emphasize this vertical relationship that Paul's talking about. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The word love in, uh, in English is kind of a funny, vague word, right? It's a, it's a funny, it's, it's, a, it's a vague word. Think, think of it this way. For, for example, um, you take your wife out or your husband out on a, on a nice date. The kids are gone for, for an evening. It's Friday night. You're going to go spend some time together. You go to a, a nice movie, have a good dinner. You come home, and you, you, you spend the night. You wake up the next morning, and, and you had a wonderful time, right? You roll over to your husband or your wife, and you, you look them in the eye and say, Honey, I love you. I just love you. And then later in the day, the kids are gone. So you take the dog to the park, and you're playing with the dog, and, and the dog is unusually obedient, And you turn to your wife and you say, oh, honey, I just love this dog. The question has to be asked. Now, do you love your wife like you love the dog? Or do you love the dog like you love your wife? I mean, love is an extremely vague word. And there's no no coincidence that our kids have such a problem understanding what love means. When we try to explain love to them, it's vague. See, the Greeks didn't have this problem. They had five words for the word love. Love. Right? And Paul uses a very specific word when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He uses a very specific word. The word is agapeo. It's agapeo. And it means, it's kind of a funny meaning, but it come, it's, it's the root from which we get our word agony. It means to be totally given over to. It's completely one-sided, has nothing to do with what the second party does. But the person who has agapeo has a love that is completely and overwhelmingly set on the other, regardless of what they do. That's the kind of love Paul says, this is the kind of love that Christ has for the church. Oh, and by the way, husbands, this is, this is the example that we're to follow. It means to be totally given over to. It's when we agape something or agapeo something, uh, it's usually evident. It's the thing that we give the majority of our time to. It's that thing that we can be so overwhelmed with and overcome by that we just give our time, our treasures, our talents, everything is, is focused on this thing. You got pictures of it everywhere. I mean, it is, it is just, it is your thing, right? Think of it this way. Um, I didn't tell my wife I was going to use this example, so she might throw something at me. But um, when, when, when we were dating, uh, I would call her on the phone, and we would talk for hours and hours. And it would start getting late, and, and I would be like, oh, no, don't get, she'd tell me she needs to get off the phone, right? Because it's getting late. She's like, I want to go to bed. I'm like, oh, no, just, just stay on the phone. And we're fall, I'm falling asleep. She's falling asleep. I just, I just want to hear you breathe. And I'm like, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's time to go. <laughs> right? It's this, this, this love that is so overwhelmed and caught up with the other. Right? And, and, and for the majority, of, you've experienced that before with, with, with somebody you're probably married to, right? 
But here's the thing. It's like infatuation, but the word infatuation by definition is short-lived, right? For, for somebody who's infatuated with something, you have this massive burst of love and excitement towards it, but then it's gone, right? Agape is, is the exact opposite of that. It, is, it, is, it goes on and on and on. It has no end, right? And that's what Paul's saying. This is the love of Christ towards you, towards us. Christ's love for you is one-sided. He doesn't care what you do. He loves you. He is overwhelmed with love for you. He cares about you. Well, we know because he went to the cross for us, right? right? But he, he absolutely loves you, and this is the kind of love that he has for you. It's completely one-sided. God's love for you is completely sold out. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We, in, in, our, in our world, our, our world is full of love with fear. Let me explain what I mean by that. He'll love me as long as I keep the weight off. She'll love me as long as the bills are paid. Right? These are the kind of things, and there are a hundred other examples of things that we can wrestle with within our own marriages, within our own relationships, that we know that we're loved, but sometimes there's a fear attached to it. And Paul is saying that Christ's love is perfected. There is no fear attached to it. And so what he says right here, he says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He's saying, if, if you have fear in your relationship with God that, that somehow there's something you can do to disqualify yourself from his love, you've misunderstood his love. Because he loves you so uncontrollably, unconditionally, that it takes, it, it takes something serious for us to even fathom it. We're not going to get it. And until he comes, until we're with him. In fact, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 or 14, he talks about how we see as in a mirror. Uh, Corinth was known for their mirrors. They take copper and polish them out, but they look nothing like the kind of mirrors we have today. Right? They were still kind of hazy and fuzzy. And, um, and he says that then we're going to see perfectly. Now our love is like this, kind of a, a dimly fuzzy image, right? And, and our love... That's how we see God's love even at our best. But he loves us unconditionally without fear. And he wants you to, to be without fear in your relationship with him. And he says, oh, by the way, husbands, this is the kind of love that we're to have in our marriages. This is the love that we're to model. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For the first 19 years of my marriage... I thought that was the goal, to give myself up. That I, I'm, God's called me to go full speed ahead and, and die to myself and, and run myself into the ground for the sake of my family and for the sake of my wife. And I thought, all that I'm doing, I'm giving up something. But what I didn't realize is that I was linked arms with my wife and dragging her along with me. And I was destroying my marriage because I thought that was the goal, giving myself up. Instead, I didn't read on and see, how does Christ give himself up 
for us, right? And so we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper. But here's the thing. God wants us to have fruitful marriages that are full of life and hope. And he wants your relationship with him to be the same, to be full of life and hope and to understand the love that he has. Verse 26. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. See, Paul's talking about um, probably one of two things. The, the easiest one uh, to talk about is baptism. He say, he's talking about the washing of water with the word. The majority of us are pretty familiar with what baptism is, right? Baptism is, is you've given your life to Christ and out of obedience, uh, Christ said that we should be baptized, right? So we, we go and we're immersed under the water, which is symbolic of of Christ's death on the cross, and we're raised to new life, right? Not because of the water, but because of what Christ did for us. But Paul, because he's speaking about the context of a marriage relationship here, I believe he's speaking about something else also. Within the, the context of the Jewish wedding, the day before a, a couple would be married, they would receive a ritual bath, the ritual bath was symbolic of, similar to what baptism was, the, the shedding of an old life, being raised to a new life, but it also had an, another, another uh, aspect to it. It was, it was the aspect of preparation for a new status, because marriage was held in extremely high esteem. And so it, it was a preparation for a new status. So Paul's saying that they might cleanse her with the washing of water. He's talking about how Christ wants to raise us to a place of a new status in him by the washing of, with the word. What does that mean? See, in, in, in the Greek, there are two words for word. Two words for word. Number one is, the first word is logos. And we find that in uh, 1 John 1, 1. And one of our little ones shared it earlier. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? The word that's used there is logos. It's referring to the incarnate Christ, Jesus himself. Right? Logos is the incarnate Word of God. The second word is rhema, and it means the spoken word. Right? Paul's talking about the love of Christ washes us with his word, his spoken word. Where do we find it? Right here, right? This is the rhema of God, and the rhema of Christ is found right here. It's also the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer as he speaks to our hearts, right? And that one's never gonna contradict this one. But Paul's speaking about the spoken word. I've had, I've had guys that are like, no, man, I've got I've to read the Bible over my wife. That's what it's talking about. So I picture this guy going in after his wife's sleeping and getting his Bible out, going over, wives, submit to your husbands. As unto the Lord. I just need to wake up. What, what, what are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is right? It's not talking about reading the word over your wives. As much as that sounds like a good thing, it's probably kind of weird. So if you've been doing that, you should stop. Here's a better idea. Read the word with your wife. 
right? Less weird. <laughs> but he's talking about the spoken word, that, that Christ's spoken word into our, into our heart and into our soul washes something. It washes something. Paul is saying that, that as we get the word of Christ into us, it strips off the lies that this world has placed on us. It strips off the garbage. It strips off the guilt. It strips off the shame. It strips off the hopelessness. It restores dreams. The things that the Lord placed in you when you were young that you said, you know what, there's no way God's going to do that today. It's been too long. That's the stuff that the Word of God restores in you. The Word of God says to you, I understand you and I see you. Husbands, right? Our words are supposed to wash our wives, to encourage them, to strip off the junk that the world has placed on them, the lies, the, the insignificances, the guilt and the shame, and should restore dreams and restore hope and restore life, not take it. Right? That's another, oh, by the way, from Paul, right? Right? Hebrews 4.12, it says, The Word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and to the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces even to the division of the soul and the spirit. Our, our soul, some of you know, this, this is what our soul is. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's, it's our feelings. Right? It's, it's all the stuff that, that's, 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 that, that, we, that are based on the experiences we're having. Right? It's our feelings about them. Our spirit's different. Our spirit is the part that, that is attached to, to the Lord, and it's the part that, that can receive truth. And so what Paul's saying is that the Word of God, His rhema, that speaks to us through His Word and through His Holy Spirit, somehow gets in there between our feelings and the truth and goes, and makes a division. See, before that's, there's a division there, we just go along with how we feel. We just act on, we act according to the experiences that we have based on the feelings we have about them. Make sense? Yeah. Right? The Word of God now allows us to see a truth. Right? So say I'm having, uh, having a feeling about um, a circumstance in my life, and I'm in the Word of God, and His rhema begins to speak to me about something, I come across the truth concerning my circumstances. Now I have a, a, a decision to make. Do I, do I base my actions on the feeling that I'm having, or do I listen to the, the truth of the rhema of God and do what it says out of faith? And when I do, something gets washed, right? Something old falls off. A few months ago, we did a message about Lazarus coming out of the grave. It's grave clothes coming off. When we act in faith based on his word, he removes something of death and he deposits something and restores something of life. 
So listen, our words matter. Here's a couple of scriptures that I, I want to throw out there that, that, are, that, are, that are gender neutral, man. All right, Ephesians 4.29. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything we say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 12.18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ouch! <laughs> Man, that's serious because I've said some stupid things. Don't ask my wife. She probably keeps a log. Oh, wait. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. All right, we got to be intentional about our words. We need to be intentional about our words. Christ is intentional about his words. And his words want to bring you to absolute new life. Verse 27, it says that he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blame or without blemish. Christ sees you blemish-free. And that is hard for me to get because I know the mistakes that I've made. And if we could go and open up my closet doors on my soul, the amount of stuff that would fall out, Christ sees us as blemish-free. But what about that? Nope. Christ sees us as blemish-free. Let that sink in a minute. Christ sees you as blemish-free. Now, you might be thinking of all those reasons right now why that couldn't possibly be. And I'm sorry, but I didn't write it. Christ sees you as blemish-free. It's done. It was paid for on the cross. Christ sees you as blemish-free. Are we blemish-free? No. Am I blemish-free? Uh-uh. But how does Christ present us to himself as blemish-free? So Paul makes a point that, let me, let me read this one more time, a little bit, little bit slower, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. It's a work that he did, and what he's saying is that because you've pre been presented holy and with, without blemish, live that way. Live to your status. Live to your status. How many times have you seen people on TV that, that win the lottery, right? Win mega millions of dollars, and they buy some great big mansion and, and have a great big shop and all these cool things, and, and you know, they show them, and they're still eating KFC, <laughs> right? They got a giant granite island, and there's a bucket of KFC in the middle of it, and crumbs to the couch, and they're sitting on the couch watching TV, 
And they got the Saturn still parked in the 15-car shop. There's nothing wrong with a Saturn. I've had one, and I like KFC. <laughs> but listen, if your status changes, get the Ferrari. <laughs> Hire somebody to make shrimp and lobster. When you see yourself differently, the way Christ would have you see yourself, it should change the way we live. It doesn't mean go buy a Ferrari and lobster. It means allow the way you see yourself in the world to be different. Right? We look down on ourselves. We put ourselves down. We think God's not going to answer my prayer. God's not listening there's all these reasons why I'm blemished. I'm covered in all sorts of just awfulness because of my shame and my guilt. Christ doesn't see us that way. He sees you as blemish-free. And he says, come here, little one. Come on. It's okay. Trust me. Believe me. I love you. Verse 28. The further this goes, the easier it is for me to write it off and say, you know what, I just can't believe that. That's unbelievable. Right? We started off with God loves us unconditionally. Okay, we've heard that in church for quite a while. Right? His agape love for us. Right? And then we talked about how God's word washes us. But now we're talking about, about how, how we're presented blameless to himself. That's a little harder for me to swallow because I know my own failures, right? But now we're getting into something that's, that's, that's even harder to swallow sometimes. And, and I'm going to tell you, this requires a move of the Holy Spirit to prevail upon our hearts, to change the way we think. Like I said, I'm giving you some information about here's what the Word of God says, but I am absolutely praying for a transformation in our soul. Listen to what this says. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and his bones. It's easy to read past that and, and think, okay, we're, we're members of his flesh and his bones. He's kind of using that as an analogy for something Right? And we're supposed to, 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 to treat our wives as, as we would treat our own bodies. And we live in such a fallen world where there's a lot of people that don't treat themselves well. Right? We treat ourselves poorly a lot of the time because we view ourselves poorly. And we're going to learn to view ourselves differently right? because Christ is elevating us through His love and an understanding of His love towards us. But, but Paul is saying that Christ sees us very differently. We have to go back to Genesis chapter 2 to really get an understanding of what he's saying. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Does that sound familiar? She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So in Genesis, we see Moses tell us that out of this relationship, we become one. In the same way that Eve was, I'm going to use the word birthed for the lack of something better, birthed from the side of Adam, the church was born out of the pierced side of Christ on the cross. Catch this. Christ sees you as an equal, active extension of himself. Christ sees you as an equal, active extension of himself in this world. I can't even get that. God sees you the same as he does his own son. Let me explain that for just a second. Um, I need some context. Okay, in, in Rome, if you were born into a family, you were not considered an heir to anything nor a son. At some point, a father would decide he wants to keep you, and he would adopt you. And at that point, you now became an heir to everything that was your family's. You were considered a son. Through the cross, you have been adopted into the kingdom of God, and the Father sees you as a son. Christ, because of the cross, sees us as an equal, active participant to himself within the world today. God loves you as he loves Christ. Christ loves you as he loves himself. And I can't even get that. It takes, it, it's going to take a move of God for me to understand that. But I want to believe it. We have to believe it. Because when we do, it changes how we see everything. It'll change how you see your spouse. It'll change how you see the world. It'll change how you see the cross. And it's at that point, I believe, when we can understand the love that God has, we move from seeing everything in this temporal, short-sighted, life worldview to an eternal worldview. So when things happen in our lives and we think, man, that was terrible, we, we can think, how does this all work in the light of eternity, right? My struggle right now for my finances, when I see it through kingdom eyes, all of a sudden, that miracle doesn't sound so impossible. Because in the light of eternity, knowing God's love and how he loves me, is he going to take care of me? I don't even have to be concerned. I just have to keep my eyes on him and my heart in the right place, right? So, 
I can't do this passage justice without reading another passage that's, that's attached to it. And I want to approach it very, very tenderly because this is a passage that has probably been used to manipulate and abuse um, more than any other passage in Scripture. And I just want to glance over it to make a point. All right, so bear with me. This is uh, Ephesians 5.22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Who's the Savior of the body? Christ, capital H. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let your wives be subject to their own husbands. So let's, let's go back and visit this. Just as Christ is subject to the church, how is, Christ's, or how is the church subject to Christ? The church is subject to Christ out of response to all that stuff about love we read. Right? It doesn't come first in the do this part and you get the love. Right? It is out of complete response to the unimaginable love that God has. And as we do what Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You'll be amazed at the kind of stuff that comes from that. So we're going to take some time. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and we're going to take some time to just to worship and allow some of the stuff that we've talked about just to kind of settle in. Because like I said, I've given us a lot of information today. And it's the Holy Spirit that settles this stuff into us that brings change, right? So Heavenly Father, as, Lord, we've spent some time in your word today. Lord, I ask that now something of your Holy Spirit would settle into us. Lord, we're broken people. And Lord, we make mistakes and and, and we do it wrong the majority of the time. Lord, would you give us grace towards one another? And Lord, would you restore broken things? Lord, your word says that we just read today that you wash over us with your word. Lord, allow that to happen now by your Holy Spirit speaking deep to us. And let's worship.